The following audio drama is rated PG-13 for parental guidance. Hi, this is Alex, GM of the Inspired Incompetence podcast, where we're playing through Tyrant's Grasp, a survival horror campaign by Paizo for Pathfinder 1st Edition. This is episode number 78, Briefed by an Angel, where we kick off season 4 of our campaign. Still recovering from the worst tragedy they've ever faced, the heroes finally get a moment to rest and reflect on the horrors they've endured as they sail down the River Esk. Thanks for listening, and thank you for your consideration. Do not open with sharp object. It's the Inspired Incompetence Podcast. How's everybody doing? Yay. Ow. That's sharp. What did I just say? But it was right there. Yeah. Well, you gotta pay attention. I genuinely got concerned right there. (laughs) (laughs) This is the last time I feel bad for you. (laughs) And we're back. Welcome to... Uh, the first episode of book four of Tyrant's Ooh. Grasp. We are officially halfway through this campaign. Yep. <laughs> I had to do the math real quick. Super stoked out. to hear Sorry. that. I, I was, I'm reading right now, so. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Woo! Halfway! It's yeah. In my head, I, I was like four and six. Halfway. <laughs> One, two, three. Right. Four, Just have to do all I got, of I got there. I got there. <laughs> Uh, and based on what a breeze this campaign has been so far, I know that we're all just super eager to, to see where it goes from here. But in the meantime, everybody leveled up. Level 11. Yep. Who wants to talk about their level up stuff? I nominate Tom. Tom, tell us about our genus at 11th level. You know, <laughs> being the new character... You guys don't, uh, you guys probably don't know much about what's going on in the background with our genus, but uh, for at the very least this level, um, our genus picked up angelic blood due to the fact that she, that he is an Asimar. Um, oh, that's awesome. And I wanted that uh, before, but I didn't meet, I've never played someone that met that requirement. Yeah, so uh, it, it has to be a celestial being, Asimar. I gain a plus two bonus on saving throws against effects with the evil descriptor and on constitution checks to stabilize uh, when I am reduced to negative hit points, but not dead. Furthermore, each time I take bleed damage, uh, bleed or blood drain damage, uh, each undead creature or creature with the evil subtype uh, that is currently adjacent to me also takes one point of damage. That's neat. Uh, did Arginus get any fun spells? You know, Arginus did pick up a couple of spells. Uh, he picked up for fifth level spell. Uh, he took on Parchment Swarm, uh, which allows me to uh, create a swarm out of uh, confetti, essentially. 
and deadly uh, confetti out of confetti and there's even some magical properties if i uh if i um throw up a a, a scroll instead and then i also took invis uh greater invisibility i took dispel magic and then i also took defensive shock any other level 11 goodies oh that that was uh i think that was it um uh, how about Uhtred? Um, so I, I got a, a few things this level. So, uh, like for abilities from this level, I got superior reflexes, which is basically combat reflexes, but it's um, the number of times per round is determined by my intellect modifier, which is six. So, yeah, I can take tax opportunity six times per round and then for my two spells i took dimension door which is pretty straightforward you basically teleport uh, a set distance and then for the second spell i took phantom steed which i conjure like a quasi real horse-like creature and it's basically a mount um what's kind of neat about this spell is that depending on your spellcaster level, the mount gains different things. So like at eighth level, the mount can ride over sandy, muddy, or even swampy ground without difficult or decreased speed. At tenth level, conveniently enough, the mount can use water walk at will. And then nice. next next level, the mount can use air walk at will. That's fun. My question is, when you do Phantom Steed, can you make it a giant chicken? Just ride, ride a giant I was version actually, of your familiar? I was actually leaning more towards the Phantom version of Bucky. Oh, okay. Griffin. Oh, Griffin. yeah. <laughs> so that, those are my two spells. And then for Uhtred got two feats this round, the normal feat, and then I, he got a bonus feat. So I've always been like super scarred from any type of fighting encounter we've had with somebody that can go invisible so i took blind fight so Ooh. yep uh i i specifically settled on this feat because um it calls out concealment specifically um so anytime i miss because of concealment you can re-roll your mischance percentile roll one time to see if you actually hit so basically yeah. i get advantage anytime i'm strike i'm attacking something in melee with concealment also, yep. and so that includes if they're invisible, if you're blind, if they have yep. displacement, uh, if they're, if in, they're fog. in a fog <laughs> yeah. cloud, any kind yeah. of concealment. Yeah. Um, also, an invisible attacker gets no advantages related to hitting me in melee. So, so, so no flat-footed minus two. <laughs> yep, I don't lose my dex bonus to AC, and they don't get the plus two bonus for being invisible. And then for my final feat, I took. Sun Striker. Um, so this had a lot of prereqs for it. Critical Focus, Weapon Focus, Scimitar, Character Level 7, and Worshipper of Serenray, which Uhtred luckily meets all of those. And what this feat does is whenever you confirm a critical hit against an undead creature, your attack bypasses all DR. It also deals full damage to incorporeal creatures and acts as though it has the Flaming Burst Weapon special ability. 
So Friggin mega tight, dude. My my crits just got. You can't nerf my crits, even if you're undead or incorporal. <laughs> if I crit, you're taking it all, baby. Yep. Well, I mean, Uhtred better, uh, you know, get double praying to Saren Ray as thanks for that. I know he's been. I know he prays all the time to her. Yeah, he 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 prays more through his actions and less through his thoughts. Fair enough. Any other level eleven goodies from Uhtred? Yeah, no, I think that, that was pretty much it, other than the generic basic stuff. Okay. Uh, and then we've got Randolph. Oh, me? Yeah. Um, my level up was fine, but Rogyar leaving sort of took the wind out of my sails a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, oh, there just wasn't that much awesome stuff that I wanted. So I figured... Use this uh, opportunity to actually be a healer instead of all the other stuff I like to do. So for my okay. fourth level spell, I took uh, that cure, cure gaping wounds. <laughs> cure axe wound. <laughs> Whatever wound it is, critical, I think. I believe it's critical. Yeah, yes. it's critical. So it's cure critical wounds. 48 plus one per level up to yep. plus 20. And that's handy because... I'm. I can just pick which ones I want to use, right? Yeah. So if we need big heals, I got you know spell slots for a big heal. I don't really have. I don't think I have the level three version. Or if I do, like, I even if even if we uh, need the big heal though, like if I need if I have three level four uh, <laughs> spell slots and no level threes or something, it just seems smart to get the big heal. So. Especially with Rogiar. If Rogiar stayed, I would absolutely would not have taken this, but he gone. So, yes. So then for a feat, also in this uh, new healing route I'm taking, is uh, Healer's Hands. And I can use the heal skill to treat deadly wounds as a full round action, um, etc., etc. And then I add in my knowledge planes to the damage healed. So, so with my skill points, I gotta jack up my uh, jack up my knowledge. So there's a there's a few different rules interactions with this because you're using the tree deadly wounds action with the heal skill. Uh, so here's here's like the the breakdown. You basically got it, but uh, you have to make a DC twenty heal check. If you fail, it just doesn't work. DC twenty heal check. If you succeed. It uh, and you do it as a full round action for the feat. Normally, it's one hour, and uh, you can only uh, a, a given creature can only benefit from it once per day. But with the feat, you can do it as a full round action. Uh, any creature can benefit from it, however many times per day as you do it. But you can only do it a certain number of times per day, equal to your ranks in knowledge planes. So yeah, you do it as a pretty much full round said. action. <laughs> You do it as a full round action, DC 20. If you succeed, they heal one hit point per hit die. Uh, as per the Treat Deadly Wounds rules, uh, if you get a DC 25, it's one hit point per hit die, and then you add your Wisdom modifier. <laughs> and then for back to the feet, you have to get a DC 30 uh, to in order to uh, one hit point per hit die and then add your wisdom mod, and then add your ranks in knowledge planes. Oh, wow. Okay, that's awesome. Um, and this is... This only costs a full round action. It's not a spell or an ability. 
Correct. It's the greatest feat of all time. In, in theory, you could do it an unlimited number. I mean, no. you could, well, no. I mean, you can Once pump per... a bunch of ranks into it. Like, yep. You're not like. It's not like a spell that's like, oh, you can do this three times, and it'll only ever be three times. Yep, right. yep, yep. Um, all right. Uh, any other uh, goodies? Yeah, Thalias gets a feat too, um, but I'm saving that one for when I think of what I want. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I've cool. almost entirely leveled up. That's that's big for me. And that's pretty much it. Some kind of cool healing stuff. Uh, I mean, Healer's Hands is really awesome. I'm super stoked to be uh, to u- to be using that as like a a tool in my healer's kit. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. Um, but then the fourth level spell being cure critical. That's yep. that's it for me though. All right, cool. Uh, so that brings us to uh, you all on the Golden Dawn Rose as it sails up the River Esk. Rogyar has flown off to be with his family, leaving you all dwarfless. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. But before we address that, we're going to have ourselves a little cutscene. Rain rattles the oak shutters from outside this handsomely decorated parlor. Even as a blazing fire illuminates the cozy room from behind its brick-and-mortar mantle, lightning flashes through the shutter slits. The parlor includes several armchairs and a single couch, all made of sturdy wood and leather, and a full-sized taxidermied bear stands upright against the wall opposite the shuttered window. The heavy, musky fire casts long, impressive shadows past all the room's furnishings as it sizzles behind the mantle. Casting the tallest shadow of all, though, is a man standing directly in front of the fire, his back to us, as he gazes into the flames. Even in his evening attire, he holds himself quite impressively. The door at the far end of the room opens with a click, and a rather well-dressed halfling steps inside. Master Cladius, I'll be heading home for the evening. Will you be requiring anything first? The impressive figure standing before the crackling fire turns around, and we can see his face and recognize Commander Barrenmore, the same man who spurred the Council of Vigil to wage war on the undead nation of Geb. Though every bit as resolute as we remember, there is perhaps a twinge of sadness in his eyes now. Crow's feet appear as he smiles tiredly at his servant. Thank you, Cassim. You may go. Cassim gives the commander a bow and turns to leave as another flash of lightning lights up the slits in the window shutters. Barrenmore glances at the shutters as they give a fresh rattle from a rainy gust of wind. You don't have to go out in that, Cassim. You may stay in the guest quarters tonight, if you wish. Cassim turns around again, a smile of gratitude rounding his face. You are too kind, Master Cladius, but I'm afraid I must be going. Maggie is home with the children, and she's been feeling a bit ill lately. Commander Barrenmore dips his head respectfully. You are a good man, Cassim. The servant turns to leave again. Cassim. Cassim stops again a ghost of annoyance flickering behind his professionally polite smile as he turns to face his master again. Yes, sir. Commander Barrenmore is silent for several beats, while the fire gives off a single flat pop. Cassim, I would like you to send for High Priest Stran first thing tomorrow morning. Cassim takes a calculated moment before responding. Certainly, Master Cladius. What, uh, shall I tell him as to the nature of his summons? Discretion. 
The commander takes a step toward his servant, now facing him completely. I will discuss with him the matter of sending an auxiliary scouting team to the Geb front. Kasim's professional neutrality slides away as he looks upon his master with sadness. Commander Barrymore seems to hesitate with what he's about to say, but then he barrels on. It's been over six months, Kasim. Six months, and not but a word from my grandson, or his team. I must know his fate. Not knowing has become a splinter on my mind. Kasim bows his head sadly. As you wish, Master Cladius. His eyes dart to the side nervously. The council has been quite eager for an update themselves. Shall I? No. The commander turns back to the fireplace in a huff. If Emeritus has indeed encountered difficulties, Councillor Rannenford will never let me forget it. We will wait until we have more information before we address the council. With his master's back turned, Kasim's opinion of Commander Barrenmore's agenda is clear. A resolute professional, though, the halfling bows deeply. As you wish, Master Cladius. I will pray for your grandson's fortunes. Commander Barrenmore nods at the fire. As will I. That will be all, Kasim. Good night, Master Cladius. Kasim turns again, and finally exits the room, clicking the door shut as he does. In his solitude, Commander Barrenmore glares into the dancing flames, the wild tongues of fire reflected in his glassy eyes. Emeritus, you foolish boy. Perhaps you are not as ready as I thought. No, wait! Help! A muffled scream slices through the closed door, abruptly ending with the unmistakable silence of the grave. Commander Barrenmore whirls around, alert for danger. Several seconds pass in silence as the shutters light up from more hidden lightning. Who is it? He glances around for a moment and grabs the iron poker from its spot next to the mantle. Who dares spill blood in my home? A look of equal parts caution and anger sets into his face as the commander slowly approaches the door, his weapon gripped in both hands with expert poise. The shutters rattle and the fire crackles as the parlor watches and waits in silence. The commander makes it halfway to the door when we can hear slow footfalls growing closer. Commander Barrenmore takes a wide stance, ready for the intruder. As the footfalls grow closer, we can make out an imbalanced shuffle to them. They grow louder and closer. The commander tenses up, ready for the intruder to rush into the room. With a click, the door slowly swings open, and a tall figure stands in the doorway, silhouetted in the dark corridor beyond. The stench of death rolls into the room like a bank of fog. As the shutters give a fresh rattle from the wind outside, Commander Barrymore narrows his scowl at the intruder. Abomination! I can smell undeath on you! Come face your final reward, you wretch! The figure takes a single, staggered step into the room, and the firelight pulls the shadows from his face. Hello, grandfather. Commander Barrymore's scowl deflates replaced by horror and anguish. Through his soaked blonde hair and putrefying flesh, we can only just recognize the once handsome features of Emeritus Barrenmore, the commander's grandson who once so gloriously chanted his devotion to Lastwall in the vigil council meeting. His chainmail armor is filthy to match, and he drags the tip of his single-bladed sword on the wooden floor behind him. Emeritus... The commander drops the fire poker onto the rug with a soft clank. No, 
What has happened to you? Emeritus takes another shuffled step into the room. Me? The only thing that happened to me was being raised under a dogmatic grandfather who fed me fancy lies about righteousness and purpose. He takes another step. He sent me to an enemy nation, fat on promises of glory. Commander Barrymore steps backward, tears streaming down his cheeks as his mouth hangs open in sorrow. His grandson takes another step toward him. Geb showed me the truth, though. He showed me that I am just as selfish and cowardly as any rat. Now I see. We all are. Even you grandfather. As Emeritus takes a final step toward his grandfather, Commander Barrymore falls to his knees, shaking with grief. I'm so sorry, my dear boy. I'm sorry. Emeritus raises his sword with absolutely no emotion behind his sunken eyes, and we cut to the rain-washed streets outside. We look up at the shuttered window, glowing red from the firelight behind it, and we can hear the unmistakable sound of steel through flesh. We watch from among a small crowd of onlookers, still as statues. As we hear the dull thud of the commander dropping to the floor, we come to recognize the onlookers, all of them undead, all armed and armored for battle, all members of Emeritus's team meant to infiltrate the undead nation of Geb. After a moment of silence, Emeritus appears in the rainy street next to his fellow infiltrators with a magical pop. One of the undead speaks up. A woman with short white hair. Finished with your silly project? Emeritus turns his head to face her. Yes. Happy now? Never. Another undead stirs. He looks more like a traditional knight than the rest, in dark gray plate mail and long, slick-backed hair. Let us continue to castle Overwatch. Without a word, the group turns as one and begins marching up the drenched streets of Vigil, taking little care to be stealthy. We follow them as they traverse the grid-like streets, encountering guards every so often. Whether the guards attack or attempt to raise an alarm, they are all of them cut down by the elite undead knights in moments. They reach the walls surrounding Castle Overwatch, and sentries immediately shout for the defense of the castle. Soldiers and archers mobilize, taking defensive positions. We turn our attention to the group of undead, who have expressed no concern, excitement, or indeed any emotion whatsoever. Emeritus holds out his hand, gazing up at the line of readied archers on the wall. Without a word, his allies all grab his arm, and the group vanishes. The scene pauses, and in several brutal flashes, we get glimpses of the battle. Soldiers cut down without mercy, archers decapitated by a heavy axe, sentries ripped apart, limb from limb. Only a few ranking officers seem to stand a chance, but... With the rest of their forces torn apart, they're quickly overrun in a vicious display of teamwork from the invaders. As the last soldier falls, the undead knights all straighten up as one and continue their advance. We cut to an underground chamber, illuminated by mounted torchlight. As we do so, it is to more death, as the last of several guards falls to the bloody stone floor, intestines spilling out from a gaping axe wound. The undead knights all gather at the end of the chamber, gazing in unison at a large stone sarcophagus. Emeritus places a bloody, scabbed hand on the sarcophagus lid. How horrible this act we are about to commit. The female undead with short hair nods behind him. 
We are horrible now. Emeritus nods as well. Yes, we are horrible. And we turn to face the sarcophagus. As the undead knights slowly move closer to the large coffin, we move in even closer, shouldering past them, until we're close enough to see the engraving on the floor just before it. May you rest eternally for your sacrifice to mortals. The Red Crusader. Arasni. A curtain of dust sweeps across our vision, obscuring the scene from sight. As it does so, the dust coalesces into large, faded letters, forming the title screen. Book 4. Gardens of Gallowspire. And we're back on the deck of the Golden Dawn Rose. Gardens of Gallowspire? It sounds kind of nice. Yeah, it's just going to be like a like a home improvement kind of <laughs> book. The last time we had to go tromp through a garden, it went real well for us. <laughs> I mean, it did. We got home. It's true. That's true. So, it's been a few days. You guys are on your way to... I I got it wrong last session, the, the destination that the captain said that you were heading to. It's in the same direction, but uh, just for the sake of uh, being correct, it's Castle Everstand. Uh, you guys are on the River Esk, and that will eventually branch off and you will head south. So yeah, it's uh, it's about a five-day journey. You guys have been sailing for a few days. Um, any Anything of note that you want to go over? I would have taken this opportunity to finally read, actually read through the journal that Galdeus left behind in the, underneath the city. Spend some time to actually like study it. Yeah, I don't know if we got all the information that we're going to get out of it, but, like, Uchid's not actually had a chance since he pocketed that to, like, sit for an hour, let alone a day. Yeah. No, you have not. Um, so, Uhtred, uh you're reading through this journal, and, I mean, a lot of it is... Like, there's, a, there's a lot of filler in here that's just, like, Yosijuan, uh just really blowing the Whispering Tyrant. Yosijuan? Um, uh, or was it Gildeus that wrote it? Um, I think you said it was Gildeus, but maybe it was Yusidjuin. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, so it was, uh, I mean, a lot of it is information that he received from Gildeus, but Yusidjuin is the, uh, the author. Um, and so, yeah, it's, um, the, the first line of the journal is, um, it says, it's titled The Testimony of Count Yorma Gildeus, um, and begins with the line a lock forged from light would never yield to keys made from darkness why does that Most sound of it, familiar that was the riddle that you were given to get out of the mindscape yeah i know just do we think that oh. that might apply to the fact that he used the shattered shield of arneson to get out of his lock that i'm assuming was yes uh i believe I believe this was kind of explained to you uh, by Donden, but he was like, he was in a state, a right fit, so he might have uh, not articulated it properly. But basically, uh, you know that the Shattered Shield of Arnescent is made up of 11 shield fragments. The 12th fragment is embedded in the Whispering Tyrant's hand from uh, the climactic battle of the Shining Crusade, uh, and the embedded the embedment of that shard is what weakened the Whispering Tyrant and forced him to retreat into Gallowspire. And then they sealed him and 
you know, yada, yada, yada. So there are 11 shards remaining. Uh, he figured out that he can use the shield, use the uh, shard embedded in his palm to remotely connect to another shard of his choosing and remotely detonate it. Now, the latent magic that made the shield so powerful is that it redirects magic that would kill its wielder. So he sends uh, like a bunch of magical energy at that shard and it immediately bounces back to his hand and he just kind of keeps redirecting and it creates this feedback loop until it reaches critical mass and the shard he's targeting explodes and you've seen the results. So he, based on the journal, you know that he has already obtained 10 of the 11 shards from the Crusader War College, leaving the 11th behind on purpose. And the whole point was that he's trapped in Gallowspire, uh, one in the final uh, seal that was keeping like the great seal at Gallowspire locked is hidden somewhere in Vigil. After testing the weapon in Roslar's coffer, he decided it doesn't matter where that thing's hidden, I'm gonna blow up the city and it's gonna destroy the seal. And so that's in a, a bit more concisely uh, explained version of what Dondon told you. Uh, you you read on that uh, Tarbafan uh, plans that once free, he's going to use the remaining shards uh, to bring the rest of Galarian to heal. The manuscript uh, contains no hints as to the location of the remaining shards or anything more specific about what the Whispering Tyrant tends to do with them. But you know that he used one in Roslar's Coffer and one in Vigil. And um, as a Luna guessed at, probably one on Gallowspire to finish off the Great Seal once Vigil was destroyed. So yeah, you guys have about five days, unless something unexpected happens, uh, before the Golden Dawn Rose gets to Castle Everstand. Uh, is anybody filling that time with anything noteworthy? Uh, Tom said that our genus was doing Harrow readings, and that's all good. Anybody else? I would probably loop um, Elena in, especially mm-hmm. if nothing else to like maybe pick her brain at some of those more historical deity-based things. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, you finish telling Elena, and she goes, Hmm, that's, that's all very interesting now. Uh, who, who is General Arneson again? He was one of the commanding generals in the Shining Crusade. Right, right, I'm sorry. Uh, and then this, turn uh, the shield turned into, uh, the Shattered Shield, yes, the Shattered Shield of Arneson. And, well, I gotta tell you, Richard, I, uh, I don't really know how any of this stuff works because uh, I'm not actually Eluna. And then Eluna takes her, uh, takes a hat off that she's wearing, and it's Dondon. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, ha! I found this hat in the city at some point, and uh, I just thought I'd uh, have a little laugh at my expense. Well, I, you're not the first victim, Utrin. <laughs> I've uh, hit a few people. Careful, Dondon. Still a little reek of evil on you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. I I'll, I guess I'll go find someone with a better sense of humor. Probably a good move. And Dondon, uh, he goes off, and then the real Aluna comes, and you explain everything to her, and she uh, 
she seems very interested in it uh but it's like it's like she's like a total geek for like all this like history about the gods and like this like magical artifact and the shining crusade but she's also like super worried about what's coming uh your way like is the whispering tyrant already free like where where's he gonna be like like that weapon can literally be anywhere and like let's like it's just a very scary thought but she's also like just really geeking out about the whole thing i implore you you know when we get to the castle ever stand dispatch some messages to any contacts you have out there have them dig through their archives and hopefully they can find something i, f- I feel like we need to decipher the past if we're going to have any chance in this present time I mean, yes, I, I will certainly do that, Utra. I'm just, I just don't know what good any of that will do if the shards of that shield are small enough to to hide in a a belt pouch. The Whispering Tyrant could give one to literally anyone, whether they know it or not, and send them anywhere, and then detonate one of those bombs and. I just don't know how I can ever sleep soundly again. I don't know if you ever sleep soundly. You kind of just turn off eventually. And maybe never wake up again. I'm sorry, Utrid. I'm just... No, it's... I, I, a, a week ago, I would have never thought a weapon of this level of lethality and grace could ever exist. Nobody understands better than me. This is the second time I've had to see this. I can't help but wonder where where you and your friends fit into all of this. You were you were in Roslar's coffer when it happened. Whatever we it, fit, it's because of these ovals. That's what has me so curious. That the blast killed you as surely as it did everyone else in the town. Forgive me, I, I don't mean to speak so uh, so plainly about it, but... Uh, and, and yet, did you have these O-balls in your hearts already, and it's what saved you, or did it happen after? And then, I don't... Do, do, I, do we all have them now? We were in that blast, and... No, I don't... I didn't perish. I, I don't believe you do. Remember when... We died in Rossler's coffer. We awoke in the boneyard. And we had to traverse the dead roads to get back to the material plane. Now, I, I, th- I think you and the survivors just happened to be the lucky ones. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't know. I, none of us are equipped to take on the Whispering Tyrant. He's a necromancer of legend. Those who tangled with him back then, they're... They're gods now. Well, uh, Iamade is at least. But they weren't then, were they now? No, they weren't, but Utri, they were they were still warriors of legend. They were fated for, no. for greatness. No. They were just mortals. Mortals who had no other choices left. No, Elena, they're just... They were just the living. They had no other option but fight or die. It's the same thing we face right now. Yes. Well, I just hope 
that what is left of our nation has what it takes. They're up to the challenge. As do I. I don't even know how large of a force we'll be able to rally or how quickly we will need to do it. But what other choice do we have but to do it? Right now, it seems to be our only option. Uchard has another thing he wants to do, but why don't you let Joe do what he was going to do? I was just going to describe what Randolph and Thelias have been up to. They're uh, practicing their fighting. Yeah, give us detail, man. Do it. Describe it. In well, vivid they've detail. got the. Well, they've got Elksy now, right? Yep. <laughs> so they're. Uh, it's like, all right. So then, what about this? You come from the back, okay? I spawn Elksy here, right? And then I come charging in like this, and then we're we're just sort of going all over the boat, you know, trying to make cool strategy maps for attacks. Randolph probably has himself like a bit of an audience. <laughs> doing this if for no other reason than he's randolph really not well yeah but there's really not much else to do on the ship oh our genus is absolutely like watching uh watching uh up close he doesn't mind Mm. if uh if they notice him but uh this would give me a good opportunity to uh get to know your powers more so how does this i get how the harrow works what about combat? Yes. Spellcaster. Yes. yes. Uh, combat. Uh, it's uh, when a mere mortal could turn into a god. Or, I guess, uh, something far less than human. But I have uh, things at my disposal that maybe you can uh, learn how to combat against. I can make things a little bit more difficult or challenging for you. Or I can make you bigger, make the lies bigger. Archie just just starts rambling on. Love that. Love that. That's super cool. Yeah, so I'd bring you into the fold, you know, talking about how our spells can be combined and stuff. And uh, I'm loving the make me bigger thing. You know, I'm flanking with Elias and... uh... So I enlarge... uh... Uh, Randolph. Randolph to help the fight scene a little bit more make things a little bit more uh, more fun to watch so you guys are doing this for for four days straight as the ship continues uh, sailing west so towards the end of the fourth day uh, and despite your uh, westerly progress anybody who looks east and you, you might have to like squint at this point to see it but you can still see smoke rising in the horizon like a grave marker over vigil the lazy lap of water against the hulls drowned out suddenly by stunned gasps from everybody on the main deck and you see an angelic figure descending from overhead uh Uh, our genus did you do that (laughs) Yeah, I wish I was that heavenly. No, 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 that had nothing to do with me. Huh. It reaches the deck. It stands as tall as a human, but the creature is clearly artificial. uh, Pieced together from lacquered wood and hammered bronze. A wooden mask uh, hangs over its chest on a chain. You all recognize this mask as the mask worn by the anonymous undead that you met outside of Roslar's coffer. Oh, fuck. The one that Rogier took a shot at? Yes. 
everybody at first uh, likely would have been a little uh, worried or fearful of this thing descending on them. But once it reaches, like once it lands on the main deck, it just kind of, it just kind of stands there uh, non-threateningly. Uh, and there's like a large crowd uh, gathered around it. What's everybody, what are all the PCs doing? Chatting to Thalias about how much trouble we're in right now <laughs> and how good thing we've been practicing for the last four days. Nah, I would go investigate it. Okay. Randolph and Thalias, you're just kind of talking to each other about how screwed you are, but like, do you like do you go towards it or you just kind of hang back? No, we hang back for sure. We were okay. just talking tactics. Now yeah. this thing's in front of us. We're like, dude, we are so fucking screwed. But I don't know. Maybe if if it starts talking and someone distracts it, we can. You know, we're just doing some a whole lot of that. Sure, uh, Arginus. <laughs> Arginus actually goes to approach um, with Utrid. Okay, so Arginus and Utrid are like standing at the front of the crowd, and uh, the mask's eyes begin to glow and you hear a woman's voice issuing from the construct's chest well met walkers from the boneyard i am truly impressed with your tenacity and skill i would impart more florid greetings but time is precious now more than ever i must speak with you as soon as possible in a private sanctum your ship approaches nadari's bastion at the crux of the esk and the kestrel rivers you can find me in the lower level of this quaint fortification. I understand you may feel some responsibility for these lives you have saved, and so, as a sign of respect, I offer you this golem. It has served as my guardian these past several weeks. It is both powerful and loyal. My mask serves as its focus, and trust it to someone you believe will not abuse such power. The wealth I have offered you up until now has been a pittance compared to what I can present you for the dire tasks ahead. And I can only assure you that these lives that you have risked everything to save may be forfeit if we delay. And then the eyes of the mask uh, lose their glow. Well, we give that to Elena for sure. But before I'm giving that to Elena, I would like to make a tech magic on the math <laughs> um and give me a knowledge arcana check yeah well specifically i want to make sure like i i believe that if you hold the mask the golem will listen but i want to make sure there's not like any other underlying like curses or things like that oh god damn it roll the natural one so that's a 21 so you recognize this golem specifically as a wood golem certainly not powerful to what you've come to, you know, consider dangerous for yourselves, but you know that a wood golem would certainly be a uh, a, a very potent layer of protection for these people uh, if you were to uh, leave them. And it's just chilling, being a good boy on the bow of the yeah, ship. Yeah, it's standing there, uh, just kind of facing everybody. It's not currently moving. All right. Then uh, yeah, I would I would take the mask from it and bring it to Elena wherever she is. Yeah, uh, it allows you to remove the mask on the chain, uh, and Eluna is very easy to find. She is also on the deck watching this spectacle. So yeah, Eluna takes the uh, she takes the mask and she says, uh, 
Do you trust this person, Uhtred? She did provide us with resources before we made our trek to Vigil from Bastion of the Light. She's un- she is undead. I know this for a fact. So well, perhaps an undead ally could be the missing ingredient to taking down Tarbafan. I don't know what they want or what they're capable of, but I just hope you know what you're doing. Well, at this point, we can't really be picky about who's willing to offer help and assistance. So, I, I will go and meet her. I'll, I'll bring Randolph and Arginus with me. I want you to take the golem while we're gone. Very well. I will I will take it and use it to uh, to protect these people as we continue to Castle Everstand, where hopefully they can find respite from all of this. So you guys know that you'll arrive at this uh, Nadiri's Bastion early tomorrow. Okay, then we, uh, we'll proceed to the next day. You guys wake up the next morning, and you're, uh, you're still heading, heading west, but give me some perception checks. Got a 30. Uh, five. <laughs> uh, 17. Not really riding the average there, Aginus. <laughs> Trying. Okay. Uh, Uchard, you, you notice something a little peculiar. Uh, there's, like, along the, the bank of the river, uh, you're seeing, like, like kind of like a, a trail of, like, destruction, almost. Like, something just kind of came in, like, like a, like a trough, like, through the, through the woods surrounding the, uh, surrounding the river. Like, there's, like, trees been pushed over and, uh, like, just this, like, like, big wide path of disturbed earth, uh, and then it, like, dips back into the water, and then another quarter mile, you see it again. Like, just something's been, like, moving along the riverbank, and it's just been kind of, uh, like, just overturning trees and, uh, just causing all sorts of nature-based mayhem in its path. As for what did it, who knows? You'll probably never find out. Uh, but that brings us to, uh, the intersection of the River Esk and the Kestrel River. You guys see it, uh, pretty far ways off so you're about a quarter mile from the uh the intersection of the esk and the uh kestrel river and this squat dismal mountain bailey fortress looms over the intersection of two wide rivers the moat connects the waterways to completely encircle the stronghold while a simple lighthouse rises above the main building's tower so the stronghold is like directly on a corner of land and then there's a moat of water connecting the two rivers again from behind the tower as you guys are approaching uh Dondon approaches you guys he says uh so uh you guys are going in there huh yeah I guess why look uh I just wanted to thank you for for kind of helping me back at Vigil. Uh, I just wanted to I just wanted to leave and save myself, but if, if I had done that, then I would have just been picked off by that whispering shadow. Whatever they were calling it. Well, you uh, know, I mean, we gotta stick together. 
That's key. Me and Thalias? That's a bond that'll never break. Yeah, uh, look, I, I appreciate you, uh, not really telling anybody the part that I played in, in all of that. And trust me, if I could go back and, and change it, I wouldn't hesitate to. It's given me a lot to think about, but I don't think I'm going to be any help to you guys, even if I do want to stick around and try to repay the favor. I, that damn dwarf blew up my spellbook. Yeah, that was unfortunate. But hey, um, you know, you've got experience now. You, uh, you can help this boat and help the people more than you think. You don't need to be fighting alongside us, but we need to be fighting together. I was kind of thinking the same thing. I can stay on the ship and help protect it from anything that might come at us once we get to Castle Everstand. Well, I don't really know what I'm going to do after that, but I'll definitely have to start making a new spellbook. He takes his, uh, his hat off that he's been using to kind of prank people with since he uh, got on the ship, and he says... I don't know how much help it's going to be for what the fates have in store for you, but I, I, th- I think you guys should have this. Oh, uh, Dondon, I really appreciate that. You know, you're a good man. You're... really? I think so. There's greatness in all of us. You just gotta, and then I look over at Thelias, you just gotta find out how to unlock it. Well, I really appreciate that, Randolph. I did a lot of bad stuff. I think... I think I'm supposed to try to do better. Try to start helping people. I don't know what that means yet, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try. Uh, and he hands you uh, his hat of disguise. It uh, apparently normal hat allows its wearer to alter their appearance as with a disguise self spell. As part of the disguise, the hat can be changed to appear as a comb, ribbon, headband, cap, coif, hood, helmet, or other headwear. And it's it's like the ring of invisibility. It's just kind of you know, there's no daily limit. You can just disguise yourself however you want. Friggin' sweet. Yeah, and you know what else? Uh, take a hero point, Joe. Ah, sweet. Yeah, that was that, that was, was awesome. That was a nice little sentiment. Yeah, that whole time. I really uh, didn't like Dondon at first, but, I mean, he's hung out and, you know, really, I mean, any help goes a really long way. And he could have just as easily, when he was out, you know, turned away and done something else. But he's yep. he's been sticking around. He's fighting with us. Without a spell book, like, got respect <laughs> yeah. for this guy. Yeah, I like Danton. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the ship uh, turns port to uh, start going up the Kestrel River, and you guys are able to take a longboat and row it to shore. I think I What's would the, uh... ride my phantom steed. Oh, right, okay. The river bank is kind of like pebbles and sand. Uh, and yeah, why don't you guys give me a perception check too? 19, 13, 24. Okay. So you guys, uh, you row ashore and the, uh, the squat fort sits before you and the, uh, the golden dawn rose, it sails past you, uh, and you watch it, uh, rapidly grow smaller. And that's when you, uh, you hear like a, like a spurt of like steam and water uh, from behind you back the other way uh, down the river and you look behind you and also coming ashore uh, out of the water is a creature Uh, it's about 50 feet away from you it's an ugly creature with a boar like head 
with short antlers, a thick, bullish body covered in spines and cloven hooves on its stumpy legs that it kind of waddles out of the water with. It's looking like sideways at you. Like it's, it's like you're in its territory or something and it's like getting ready to uh, attack. Um, but in addition to its uh, physical features, every couple seconds, it kind of lo- like this super bright light kind of pulses to the surface from from within the creature's body. Like Arginus, you would probably see this uh, as opposed to anybody else, but it, it seems like it's in like a lot of pain. And the the pulsing of this light is almost like uh, it's almost like matching like the throbs of this pain. But this creature looks very agitated and is about to attack you all. Uh, so as everybody, roll initiative. And, hey, um, oh, go ahead. Uh, start of book four. Uh, I've switched to a new set of dice. I didn't want to risk doing that with the. Uh, the horrible events that were happening at the end of book three, because I didn't want to send everybody into the the mm-hmm. boneyard with a TPK or something. Because I don't know if these are going to have the same effect as the LR Power dice did. They better uh, not be the dice that Toast sent. These are the dice that Toast sent. That's fucking bullshit. Uh, All right. In, they, any? They are, they are black and purple, just like our fucking logo, and I love them. And, and any PC death going forward is now on Toast Sands. Oh, she'll probably love to hear that. <laughs> I hope she doesn't sleep at night. All right, uh, let's hear initiatives. Uh, Randolph. 13. Utrid. 21. And our genus. 22. Uh, okay, so that begins the combat. But first, does anybody want to give me a knowledge check? Yep. Uh, specifically, knowledge arcana. I thought you were going to say specifically Utrin. <laughs> I mean, yeah. All right, let's try and not fuck it up with a natural one. Hey! Oh, my God. We did the opposite and got a natural 20 for a 40. For a 40? Good Lord. You got that 27. Okay, so you guys identify this creature as a Catoblopas, I believe it's pronounced. The Catoblopas is an aggressive beast at the best of times, willing to knock down trees, fences, even small houses, to eat whatever it finds interesting, be that meal plant or animal or human being. Though it prefers swamps, the Catoblopas has been known to forage in plains and forests for short periods before returning to the buoyant support of water and mud. In addition to that, Uhtred recognizes that this Catoblopas has somehow acquired the Radiant Creature Template. Uh, so, Uhtred, you can ask me four questions, and uh, one of them can be about the Radiant Creature template. Arginus, you can ask two questions, and Randolph, you can ask one question. Um, resistances or immunities or whatever? You know that Akatoba Pass has spell resistance. Uh, spell resistance of 23. Ho, 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 ho. Yeah, you know, it kind of looks like that. Like, it looks like if you threw something at it, they would just be kind of more mad about it. Marginus or Uchid? Is there any DR? They do not have DR. I'll play the HP game. Okay. Um, 60. Higher. All right, Uchid. Um, 
Give me one cool ability special thing that the Radiant template gives it. You know about its Burst of Radiance. One natural attack gains the ability to create a powerful burst of radiance that blinds the creature struck for one round unless it succeeds at a fortitude save. This ability triggers automatically on the first successful attack in a round, regardless of how many attacks the radiant creature attempts. So if he's got four attacks and he misses the first three, that fourth one is still going to trigger the burst of radiance. Of its attack, like do any of its, I assume they're natural attacks, have like any additional effect other than potentially blinding you? Like, uh, can he gore with his with its horns or? Yeah, I mean he's got a gore attack, but like you're not. But aware does of like any... it cause bleeders? Right, you're not aware of any riding abilities that. Uh, his natural attacks would have normally uh, included besides the burst of radiance. Any DR for the template provided yes, from the Yes, you know that radiant creatures have DR5 that is not overcome by anything. Alright, I feel like we got an awful lot because everyone had questions, so um, I'd like to know its movement speed. Oh, okay. You know that it has a 40-foot movement speed and also a 20-foot uh, swim speed. Okay, so with that, we're going to begin the combat proper, starting with our genus. Ooh. Um, uh, our genus is going to cast Ball Lightning. Okay. Uh, Tom, I'm going to need a couple caster level checks versus spell resistance for those Ball Lightnings. All right, first one is an 18. Uh, an 18 does not uh, bypass its spell resistance. All right. 26. 26, well. So one of the ball lightnings uh, winks out upon making contact. Uh, The other one sticks. All right. All right, so now I need to make a reflex save. Uh, An 18. Uh, Does not make it. Okay. 15. All right. This thing uh, bellows out in pain from the, uh, the electrical sphere zapping him. Uhtred, you're up. Now, I'm on my my Phantom Bucky. I think what I'll do is cast a... Let's cast a mirror image. Okay. So I have six... Or, yeah, six mirrors. And my mount can move up to 100. It's got a 100 feet. God damn. Yeah, it's 20. It's circles around this thing. 20 for every two le- caster levels. Uhtred's going to move up 55 feet. And he's going to use his swift action when he's drawing his scimitar to use his sheath to apply keen to it. All right. And that'll be his turn. Okay. Randolph. Me and Thalias are going to do our what we've been training for. And we're going to run up to it. All right. Thalias can charge and get an attack off. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, hell yeah. He'll do that. Uh, So it's a 34 to hit. That'll hit. 19 bludgeoning damage and 6 fire damage. Uh, So yeah, uh, Thalias would feel a little bit of that damage get absorbed by the DR, and uh, it seems to completely ignore the fire damage. Oh, not cool. All right. uh, Katoba passes turn... Which beefcake does it want? Uh, it's going to take uh, a few beefcakes, uh, and it's going to 
wretch its head back and then spew this noxious, poisonous gas out of its mouth. Huh. Taking a 60-foot cone, which uh, will uh, engulf Thalias, Uhtred, and Randolph. Uh, but first, I'm actually going to need the three of you to give me fortitude saves against its stench aura. Oh damn, Archinus, you're in the ra- you're in range too. Not for the stench aura, but for the uh, the breath weapon. Now Thalias doesn't need to give a fort, does he? Oh yeah, he does. It's his lowest one. Oh, whew. I got a 19. He got a 20. Which you got All a right. 27. All right. Unfortunately, a 19 and 20 will both fail. What? Versus a stench aura, and you two are now sickened for the next ten rounds. Utra twenty-seven passes. Uh, so now I'm going to need uh, fortitude saves again for the breath weapon. Oh um, Randolph and Utrid, uh, or Randolph and Thalias, you are sickened and have a minus two on your saves for that. Utra got a twenty-six on the second one. Got a twenty on that. Okay. Randolph got a 22, and Thalias got a 17. All right, well, Uhtred passed. Wow. Uh, uh, unfortunately, everybody else failed their fortitude saves. What? So I'm just going to take this from left to right on the map. Our genus. That's yes. two points of constitution damage. Whoa. Uh. Randolph, two points of constitution damage. And Thalias... Five points of constitution damage. Oh my god. Uh, As this, like, just greasy, noxious gas just, like, seeps into your skin. You just feel it sapping your strength. Fuck, if only we had an airbender. (laughs) So, that's the end of the Catoba Pass's turn. And then you guys hear uh, what sounds like, uh, like a gate... Uh, sliding open from uh, the tower that you're like right at the base of and you hear uh, like the rapid like vroom, 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 of uh, of somebody galloping their way towards you and they round the corner and uh, Matt would you like to describe your character sure so yes you see a man wearing what you think was probably at one point a pretty nice looking suit like a nice shirt with like a a vest over it still buttoned up as formally as he can even though like a couple of the buttons are missing and and the shirt is kind of like ripped in places one of those he looked like he was well dressed at first and he's not had the chance to you know clean up or change for a while he uh as far as like the actor is concerned, he is played by Killian Murphy from Peaky Blinders. Nice. I don't know who that is or what that show. Or he he was I also it was Cillian. It, it might be, <laughs> but he's the guy that also played Scarecrow in like the, yeah. the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Yeah, I think it's Cillian. Ah, oh, he's got a very punchable so, uh... face. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, so from around the corner uh, gallops this man that you've never recognized, that you've never seen before, uh, riding an elk. No way. That Uhtred certainly recognizes, and 
Elksy comes running up, and Elksy turns to Uhtred, and she says, Hello, Uhtred. It's good to see you again. What the fuck? <laughs> Is there some, uh, like, toxic mind-hallucinating <laughs> properties in this, uh... Randolph, how are you doing this? <laughs> I'm not! Ah! <laughs> so, yeah, uh... Matt, if you have a standard action you want to spend in the end of your turn, go for it. Yeah, I guess to to pop a standard action off, let's uh, let's complete this arrival with a bang. I'm gonna cast a lightning bolt at this thing. Oh, another lightning boy! I rolled a fucking three on my uh, caster level check. My caster level check for an eleven. <sighs> Actually, it's a thirteen. But yeah, still yeah. not not anywhere close to a twenty-three. Wow, uh, spellcasters don't get very uh, great first impressions in this campaign, apparently. Nope. I guess not. Okay, well that brings us back to the top, and Arginus, it's your turn. Uh, he's gonna maintain that uh, lightning ball there. Okay, I'm gonna roll a reflex. I got lower than I did last turn. Cool. Go ahead and roll damage. Uh, eight damage. Okay. You know, uh, actually, I'm going to cast Haste. Oh, good call. Matt, I need you to give me a fortitude save for this thing's Stentora. Oh, good times. 13. Okay. Uh, so, our genius cast Haste. Uh, do anything with your move action? I want to back away from the rest of the group here. Okay. Uh, Utrin, you're up. I'm going to use an Arcana Point to apply Frost and Frostburst onto my scimitar. Then I'm going to take a five-foot step and take a full round on... I forget what the name of this thing is. Contable Pass. That thing. Contable Pass. Uh, it's a 23 to hit. 23 does not hit. Okay. Next, my second attack misses, and then I have one more because of haste. Yep. How about a 28 to hit? 28 hits. Okay. So it was nine slashing, five cold damage. All right. Randolph. I'm really hurting by the stank here, but uh, we did do all this uh, practicing, so I'm not going to let some stank get in my way. Uh, that's going to provoke moving around it like that. Hmm. Okay, I'll not provoke. But you can charge doing that. Sounds good. Okay. Scythe time. Power attack. 32. 32 hits. Uh, 10 piercing or slashing. Uh, plus nine power attack, plus three acid. Okay. And now Thalias is going to full attack. Power attack. Ooh, that is good. 19. 19 is not hit. And second attack, 26. 28. Uh, that hits. Yes. 10 damage, four fire. Uh, okay, so the fire doesn't really bother it, but it takes a mean seven points of damage after DR. It is now the uh, passes turn. Randolph kind of hit it hardest uh, out of the three people right in front of him. So he's going to uh, he's going to send a bite at Randolph. That's a 35 to hit. Oh yeah, that hits. That's 17 points of damage. And then it's going to hit Uhtred with a gore. And that's going to be 31 to hit. Uh, I think Haste gives you a plus one to AC. That yes, it misses. Does. Nice. But it does take a mirror. Uh, I'll take it. Uh, and then it's going to 
throw a, ho- a hoof out to Thalias, and that's going to be a 30 to hit. That's 30 AC, so it matches. All right, so that's nine points of damage. And, oh, you know what? Randolph, give me a... I need a saving throw for that burst of radiance. Uh, that's a fortitude save, please. That's kind of a big one. You don't want to be blind. Yeah. 19. 19. Randolph, you are blind for one round. <laughs> oh, God. And it's got one more hoof, and it's coming after you. That's a 25 versus your flat-footed AC minus 2. Oh, yeah, that is. Uh, so you take three points of damage from its hoof. <laughs> okay. All right, up next is this uh, mysterious uh, newcomer who is not Elksie. I'm just going to hop off of Elksie and let her do her own thing. Okay. And then I'm going to... How much movement does that take? Is that like a full move action to get off? I believe so, yes. Okay. Then I will go ahead just from here. I will hit... uh, Yeah, I'm going to tap... Thalias and give him displacement. Ooh, nice. So Thalias has a 50% mischance. Awesome. Okay, it's Elxie's turn. Elxie five foot steps up and is going to full attack on this motherfucker. Do it. Do it. Elxie's got haste. First, Elxie uh, throws a gore with her antlers, and that's going to hit. And we got two hooves. No, you got to say it like Joe does. And hooves. <laughs> I forgot about and hooves. Uh, both hooves hit, and now we got the hasted gore. Oh, that misses. Okay, I'm gonna max max roll that uh, gore attack. Right. Unfortunately, with its dr, those hooves don't do a whole lot, but they do kind of get a couple little clicks. Yeah, Elksy just Uhtred, You, you're you're the only person really who's seen Elksy in combat. Randolph had a brief uh, out of combat encounter with Elksy before meeting you guys, but you remember seeing Elksy in combat, and Elksy appears to be like, I mean, you remember Elksy being the 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 better of Thalias, um, <laughs> and Elksy seems, if anything even more capable than you remember. Yeah, the whole speaking thing kind of got that point across. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Uh, all right, Arginus, you're up. I'm going to do Parchment Swarm. Okay. Uh, so I just chuck a bunch of uh, confetti in the air, and then they go to attack? <laughs> like paper paper bites? I don't know. I'll do a caster level check first. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to roll a reflex real quick for the ball lightning. Natural one. Love to see it. Keep them coming. 13 damage. Uh, and then caster level check. Um, hold up, hold up, hold up. Uh, so I'm going to add the hero point for the uh, for that paper bomb. Okay, so you overcome its spell resistance. Now it's got to make a reflex save. And that's just the luck. Uh, 27. Yep, that makes it. All right, so it's going to take half damage. That's a uh, 34. Uh, Damn, so uh, 17. 17. Okay, it's definitely taking a walloping, although uh, DR is going to apply to that. All right, Uhtred, you're up. Feels like another full round action to me. 
Alright, we have a crit threat with a 30. Alright, that'll threaten. Confirmation is a 38. That'll confirm. Okay. Slashing crit, this is called armor damage. Uh, double damage and normal damage to the target's armor. So it would, it's kind of like a sunder effect, which doesn't affect this thing. So just double damage. Okay. So it was nine total cold damage. All right. And what was your crit damage? 18. Okay. Okay. Second attack, natural 20. Okay. Yes. Uh, and the confirmation is a 36. That's so fucking messed up. Yeah. <laughs> This is more or less what I was trying to do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, another slashing crit. This is a delayed wound. Normal damage, and the target takes bleed damage equal to your normal damage. Oh, damn. Okay, I'm going to spend an Arcana point to increase my crit multiplier by one. So instead of it being a times two, it's a times three. And I I, I said I'm going to spend one Arcana point. It actually costs two Arcana points to do this, but... I'm going to use my trait that lets me recover one arcana point for a confirmed crit. Okay. So it's a net and, of one yeah. that you're paying. Uh, all right. And uh, going forward, we'll, we'll apply that to this. But going forward, I think I want you to spend an arcana point before hearing the crit card. You had a times two multiplier, and it was going to be normal damage. Now you have a times three multiplier for double damage, and then it'll be normal damage still for the bleed. Yeah. So the double damage was 21 slashing and then a total of 16 cold damage. And then on its turn, it's going to start taking 11 bleed damage. And I have another attack from haste. Mm -hmm. That won't be necessary. That's right. Because with that mighty second swing, the Catoblopass is slain. Nice. And uh, I'm going to continue swinging wildly on my turn. As I'm blind. Well, wasn't it for <laughs> one round? Died. Aren't you no longer blind? It hasn't gotten back to him yet after he got blinded. <laughs> All right, so uh, this mighty beast uh, keels over, and Uhtred, uh Elksy turns to you and gives you a, uh, a very human-like nod, and she says, That was a good fight, Uhtred. How are you talking to me? Oh, yes, well... Uh, It's all been very confusing, but I was, well, I was awoken by a powerful benefactor. She's my friend. Does she have a name? Indeed she does. Who are you? Oh, my, uh, my deepest apologies. Where are my manners? Uh, And he gives like a, a, a deep formal bow, which is a little undercut by how tattered his clothes look. You would see Elksy kind of like... Shaking her head and like this fucking guy with his manners. I <laughs> uh, use you a bow and goes, My name is Crix Intoa. It is a pleasure to meet you. And how do you know Elksy? Yes, that's a great question, Randolph. Uh, well, that is rather a long story, I'm afraid. Uh, I would love to recount it, but we probably should return, retreat to the keep before more things delay us. Yes. Randolph and uh, Thalias are having a moment, looking at each other, being like, the fuck is going on? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, more, more friends. We always need more friends. 
hands. Yes, well done. He, uh, Arginus, stares at you, but not at your eyes, at your chest. Do, do you Cover hold up, the Crix. gift? Do, do you hold the gift in your heart? Crix kind of like looks down at his chest. And says, I, I believe so. Uh, I think I know what you're talking about, and and yes, I believe I do. <laughs> Wonderful. The Phrasma Four are back together again. <laughs> Elsie uh, uh, does a little backwards, a slow backwards trot from uh, from her genus. <laughs> oh, calm, calm now. Uh, trust me, I'm not gonna hurt you. I've I've seen you, Elk Seal, <laughs> but it was in very short. I didn't uh, I didn't realize. Um, Nothing he said would have reassured me that he wasn't going to hurt me. <laughs> the voice. <laughs> <Right on. laughs> yeah. Uh, throughout. Um, what did you do with that hat of disguise that Donden gave you? He's wearing it. Seeing that. So it's, on, it's on my head. <laughs> yeah. Seeing that on your head, Crix would kind of stare for a moment and go, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. So we, we haven't been acquainted. What's your name? Uh, I'm Randolph, and I'm also Thalias, and you're Crix, and Elksy. Elksy is staring with a very unreadable expression at Thalias. Uh, I'm sorry, I need need to ask, where, where did you acquire that hat? Oh, this old thing? Uh, I actually got it from a guy, a, uh... Donden? That does not sound... Where did he get it? He used to be a newspaper boy. That's it. He doesn't do any sort of occult dark magic stuff, if that's what you're wondering. Nope, just a paper boy. Uh, Oh, well, that's... That's disappointing. That looks exactly like one that I had before... Well, before. I was really hoping that... (laughs) Might be my luck, but I guess not. I take it off and uh, look around. You know, I hand it over to him to inspect to see if it is his. You see property of cricks on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) No way. I don't know. Oh. (laughs) No, but uh, Cricks does. He he takes it and he he examines it. And he actually is going to cast the spell uh, identify to... You know, check the the exact parameters of it, and yeah, that is you, you found his hat. Um, no way. <laughs> um, excuse me, Donden found his hat. Sorry. Well, he, he had his hat, and and like Chris gets really excited. He's like, "Oh, oh my gosh, this this is my hat! What fortuitous consequence! You can see the stitching right here. This exactly that's where my mother made it for me." Sense motive. This is incredible huh elksy a guy who's looking for this hat what are the odds a mysterious angel lady this is this is good things now now i'm convinced <laughs> got a 17 my sense motive. okay uh, oh uh and you it is your hat so you can have it back but um if anyone named donden asks <laughs> 
I don't I'm know. still cherishing it to this day. <laughs> it's a family heirloom. <laughs> it's like, oh, yes, quite right. And he does the little, like, put the, the finger next to his nose and, like, give you a little wink, like, I gotcha. And then under my breath, I'm like, where the fuck did Don get that hat? Why is he giving me a stolen hat? <laughs> so, sort of, like, replaying our conversation. <laughs> so, yeah, Crix puts, puts the hat on and immediately, like, activates it. And just as part of activating the hat, you also see his facial features just change and morph as he takes on like almost like a bestial like skein to his looks. Um, and his whole outfit changes. Like the hat transforms into like this red wide brimmed chapeau with the feather sticking out. He's got like a long red coat with like thigh high white boots and like white gloves that come up to his elbows and then uh like as the transformation completes he just he looks up and he's got more of like a burning intensity behind his eyes and uh and he just says to give aid and comfort to those imperiled behold the inheritors crimson herald Elsie kind of I, like, yeah. like bucks back and like surprise. Yeah, Uhtred's gonna also retreat in surprise next to Elsie. Where did you find this fool? He addresses that to Elsie. As he said, it's a long story, uh, mostly happenstance. Do you trust uh, him? Can we trust him? I believe so. I found him on the northern banks of the River Esk, outside of Vigil. He looked like he had been through quite an ordeal. He wasn't even conscious when I found him. But I carried him here, and as he recovered, uh, he never displayed any sort of, well, bipolarism. This is certainly a surprise to me. Randolph and Thelias are just standing there with their mouths, like, just slack jaw, like, what just happened? <laughs> Fucking Sailor Moon that shit. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> well, let's get to know each other inside. Mm, time is of the essence, remember? Isn't that right? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Elsie uh, turns about and leads the way inside with a trot. The whole time I'm walking in, I'm like still enchanted by this insane hat man. <laughs> All right, so as you, uh, as you enter uh, Nadiri's Bastion, a delicious uh, aroma uh, greets you. And uh, you see... Uh, an, an aging human man, and he uh, he approaches you uh, with a tray in his hands, and there's a bunch of uh, uh, glasses of like hot some sort of some sort of hot uh, beverage. Uh, smells like cinnamon, and he says, "Ah, oh, yes, I, I've been expecting more visitors. When when Elksy and Cricks rushed out so quickly, I I had hoped that you'd arrived." Uh, please have some hot cinnamon tea and uh, fresh blackberry scones to help ward against the river's chill. I whispered to Thalias, uh, on your guard, but also cinnamon tea and scones? Come, my friends, we, it's we time to eat. Part. Come enjoy and have a seat. He says, yes, please have your fill. Uh, my other guest is waiting below. Uh, she would like to speak to you when you have collected yourselves. Uh nodding along, ready to do whatever the scones and tea man tells me to do. Yeah, uh, our genus is entertained. Oh, and as we're sitting down, 
um, I would kind of trigger the hat again to like turn back into the man you saw who first arrived. Um, only this time, obviously, he's wearing like the newsboy cap, but his his clothes look like freshly tailored and like laundered. It looks very dapper. Nice. I'm just kind of sitting there fixing my hair if I got a uh, hat head, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> that used to be my hat. It's like scratching my head more than anything. Yeah, after you guys have been uh, drinking your tea and eating your scones, Elsie's eating her scone off the floor. This aging man, he says, please, please, uh, do hurry. I, I don't want our other guests to uh, to grow impatient. Yes, indeed. She, she does have quite a, a lot of patience, but you are going to want to hear what she has to say rather soon, I believe. And anybody who wants to give me a sense motive check? 12. 26. 19. Randolph, uh, you're listening to this this old man uh, speak, and it's subtle, but you're just picking up like the weirdest bit of like like subverted compliance with everything he says you're aware that he is laboring under a charm person effect oh okay yeah that's totally normal (laughs) so yeah this guy uh he just like he like hurries you downstairs like please please uh not not a a moment to to waste you step down into the basement a few oily candles shudder against the darkness of this expansive basement A musty, sickly sweet odor mingles with the scent of foreign spices. A large circle of salt lines the floor, and in its center, resting upon a cushioned chair, sits a woman in long, formal dress. The pallid gray skin of her heart-shaped face frames sunken yellow eyes. A deep surgical wound, appearing fresh but bloodless, runs vertically down from her throat and disappears into the neckline of her dress. She's not wearing her mask anymore. That's back with Aluna. You recognize her face. You've seen its likeness, carved into the walls of Roslar's tomb and deep under the city of Vigil. Arasni's lips part into a soft smile. I suppose we no longer have the luxury of secrets. And we'll see you next week on the Inspired Incompetence Podcast. I was going to guess that too. Boom. Oh, man. I guessed it like a book and a half ago. Yeah, you did, dude. Take a hero point, Nick. Woo! See ya!